Hello, welcome back to the Noted Church Podcast. We are uh, focusing on faithful presence this year, that God has chosen to be faithfully present to this creation and especially faithfully present uh, to a people. And so the mission of the church is to be faithful back to God's presence, to uh, to let God's presence transform a people into his image bearers, to be the people that God has called us to be, uh, and to be transformed more and more into his likeness. Uh, our, our mission as we are attentive to God's presence in this world is to is to look at what, what God is doing. When we see the world unfolding around us, we, we pay attention to how God is showing up in those spaces, and then we join God in what he is doing. This feels passive a little bit because we're people who want to make strategic plans. We want to have a, a, a plan in place. And, and there's a time and place for that. It's not wrong to make plans. But uh, what we see over and over again is a church in Scripture that sees the movement of the Spirit. They, they pay attention to what God is doing and they show up in those spaces. And so uh, this year we're looking at practices for being attentive to to God in this world. Last week, I uh, didn't get my podcast done, so here's a recap. Uh, we're, we're evaluating the Christian mission in terms of three circles and how we do life in these three circles. That the first circle is the closed circle where Christ is host at the table, where we, we gather around the Lord's Supper as family. Uh, this transforms who we are. This transforms how we view one another. This transforms how we view the world. That when we come together in the church, uh, this is where we're equipped and prepared for mission to then be sent into the world. That the Lord's table, uh, we looked at Ephesians. Um, at the end of Ephesians 1, Paul talks about how all of God's fullness is found in the church. And that, that word fullness is is the same word that's used for the holy, the holy of holies being filled with the glory of God. Uh, in chapter 2 of Ephesians, uh, Paul goes into the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles is torn down. The imagery there is that in the temple, uh, you had different courts that you could go into, but the walls that divided those courts have been torn down so that all people uh, can step forward to the presence of God. Um, and, and this is, the church should reflect that kind of reality that the divisions that are drawn between people, uh, divisions that are oppressive, divisions that make others less than, that we should continually be reevaluating uh, who we are as a church and how we interact in the world. And I think back to uh, pre-civil rights movement. Uh, I go all the way back to uh, William Wilberforce, who looked at the slave trade and didn't see those people as property, but as image bearers of God, and said, is this consistent with the gospel message of reconciliation? That it is inconsistent to call someone a brother in Christ and then turn around and treat them as property. That the dividing wall of hostility between people of different backgrounds and cultures uh, should be brought together in the celebration of differences that come around the table of Christ. Because 
uh, as Paul says in Galatians 3 at the end, if you're baptized into Christ, you've clothed yourselves with Christ, and therefore there is neither slave nor free. And he says there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither male nor female. Because if you're clothed in Christ, then you're one in Christ. And so that's saying that when God sees you, he doesn't see uh, the markers of distinction that, that are that draw people into different groups. He sees son, he sees daughter, he sees family, he sees Christ. And so how does the church reflect this? And people like William Wilberforce uh, came along and, and challenged the systems of their day, systems that were put in place by um, fellow Christians in a, lot of, in a lot of circumstances. And they said, this is inconsistent with the gospel. And so how do we live out the gospel in the church and in society in a way that challenges the structures of this world to reflect the goodness that God intended for it to be. So the church is supposed to be this embodiment of God's good creation. And then we go into the world front reoriented around uh, Christ's table, the Lord's table. We then go into the world carrying his presence with us. And we become hosts at uh, our tables. That as Christ is host at his table, where we gather, we then become host of his presence at our tables. And this is in the dotted circle. Uh, and next week we'll talk about how we go and carry Christ's presence as guests into their tables where we uh, go to the restaurants, the coffee shops, the bars, the pubs, you know, the breweries, whatever. That wherever we go in the marketplace, wherever we go uh, in our businesses and jobs, um, that's where we go and we live out God's presence for the world to see. But we're there as guests. And so I, this week we're looking at the parables in Luke chapter 15. And in these parables, you have uh, three parables together. And it's really important that when Jesus tells parables back to back in the Gospels, that you read them all together as one major point and not take them each individually. Uh, and so you have the parable of the lost sheep, and then the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the lost son. And we're, we're familiar with the parable of the lost son, and, and we're familiar with these parables generally, but we have to put them in context. In Luke chapter 15, uh, verse 1 and 2, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the religious people... The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so there's this, this scene that's painted where Jesus welcomes in sinners. Uh, so think of, you know, the despicable people. The, the, the tax collectors are the, are the most despised of the Jews. And they're the ones who have sold out to Rome. Uh, and Jesus welcomes them in and eats with them. Uh, other sinners that are notable, he has a woman that has uh, is of ill repute. He meets a woman at a well who uh, had multiple husbands. Uh, you've got zealots. You've got uh, very colorful fishermen. You've got all kinds of people. Uh, and, and Jesus ate with people that that made the religious elites uncomfortable. Uh, in Matthew eleven nineteen, 19, 
Jesus is called a drunkard and a glutton because of the parties he was going to. And you know how people are. They see who you're hanging out with and they start accusing you of all kinds of things. But the reason I want us to focus on these passages this week is the reason Jesus tells these stories is because he's being accused of being soft on sinners. He's being accused of of being friends with those that we should reject that obviously God does not love. And and this is something that we have to reclaim. That that Jesus opened his table, uh, and this is why it's a dotted circle, because all can come in. And he opens his table in a way that says, come and see the transformation of God's presence. Come and see what God in the flesh looks like. And when people are exposed to the presence of God, they want to be different. Uh, The church, we're actually known for being judgmental because often when there's certain groups of people that we talk about, we we want to we get fixated on their sinfulness and we we get fixated on how they need to change their lifestyles and and often this is at the same time while while ignoring uh, the sinfulness of our own um, ways of life and we're not critical of ourselves while being critical of others and and I I don't want to get into the splitting hairs on this but what I want to focus on is who uh, maybe the question we need to ask is this Who would Jesus be unwilling to open his table to? Who is it uh, that Jesus would refuse to have lunch with? To allow them into the sacred presence of God. Who would Jesus deny? And in response to that question... Jesus says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And he goes on to tell a similar similar story about a silver coin and a woman who, who loses one. She lights a lamp, she sweeps the house, and she searches carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found the lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then he tells the well-known story that there was once a man who had two sons. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to sum it up. That One son uh, basically goes to his dad and says, I would like my inheritance now. And in asking for his inheritance, he's essentially saying, I wish you were dead now so I could have my, my inheritance. And he then goes and squanders all that the Father has given him. And he's, he's led a sinful, terrible, nasty life. And when all things are done, he finds himself eating with pigs and he realizes that 
his father's servants are treated better than what he's being treated. And so he's going to go back and lean on the mercy of his father. And his father, whose heart, even though his son basically said, I wish you were dead, his heart never left caring for his son. His heart never stopped caring. His heart never left his son. And he sees, he looks down the road and he sees his son coming and he runs out to him and the son launches into his pre, um, his pre-made speech. It says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. And the heart of the father is always on mission for seeing the sun coming down the road. And the the juxtaposition of this parable is then you have the older son who is is has always been with the father, but has never fully understood the father's heart. And he he sees his father celebrating this absolute reject of a person, this absolute refuse, this terrible son who has squandered everything and has treated his dad like trash. He sees his dad celebrating and he's angry. And the father, much much like he did with the younger son, goes out to the older son as well. And he pleaded with him. He says, look, all the, in the, the, the older son looks at the father and says, all these years I've slaved for you and have never been disobeyed your orders. Yet you gave, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes came home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And with the same compassion that he looks at the younger son, he looks at the older son. And he says, my son, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is a really hard, it's a really difficult passage if you actually sit with it and wrestle with it. Because at the very mention of certain communities of people in our society, I I see Christians recoil with disgust. And I wonder, is that the heart of the Father? And when, when these certain groups are mentioned, uh, we, we're quick to jump to, well, they need to know about their sin. And, and there's a time for that. But what we see in Jesus is meeting people where they are, exposing them to the presence of God through real relationship shared around the table. Uh, where he's invested in these people to bring them into transformation. 
the critique that people have is that he is welcoming them as equals. That he's welcoming welcoming them into relationship. And so there, there are people in my life that I struggle uh, to be with. And I, I have to ask myself in those struggles, uh, am I... Am I having the heart of the Father who's longing for redemption of these people? Or am I having the judgmental heart of the older brother? And coincidentally, sometimes uh, we have a heart for the younger brother and we go, yes, okay, good. We have a heart like the Father. And then we criticize the older brothers in our lives. But we have to realize that we're called to be the father to the younger brother and to the older brother. And so uh, while it's easy to critique uh, people in our lives for being judgmental, we have to find a way to love the judgmental people who are self-righteous. And it's easy for us to condemn the dirty sinners to, uh, to demonize entire groups of people and say they're not living as God would have them live. And, and the question we have to ask ourselves is, why would they? They don't, they don't follow the same rules we follow. They don't live, uh, they don't claim to have Christ as Lord. So are we willing to have those people at our table? And so I'm going to invite you to reflect on a few things as you prepare for Sunday. Uh, Make a list of the people in your life that you spend the most amount of time with. Uh, How many on that list do not have a relationship with Jesus? And who are some people um, that you need to add to that list uh, who don't have a relationship with Jesus? I I think about people in my life. um, I I have friends from various backgrounds, people who... Uh, are atheists, people who are agnostic, people who grew up Hindu, uh, people who uh, don't know what they believe, and people who feel like orphaned Christians. And I have a lot of Christians that are friends as well. But I think it's important that we, we meet people where they are and look for what God is doing in their lives and to meet God in that space to, to bring about transformation. Because as long as we stand off in the background and we cast judgments and try to tell them about how their life is wrong. They will never experience the presence of God in our lives if we're not in real relationships. So make a list of people and and see how many of them do not have a relationship with Jesus. Uh, And look for ways to open your table up more uh, to your neighbors. Uh, The second point of reflection is this. What is what's your biggest fear? in investing your time and energy into having real relationships with people who do not share your values and worldview. Um, this is, I think when we label our fears and our concerns with, with having relationships like this, it helps us actually um, move forward into having those relationships. Um, am I worried about the influence different people might have on my children? You bet. But that's where I have to embrace my responsibility as a father um, to help them grow up in the Lord. That if I, if I allow those influences to shape my kids, um, I'm being too passive in my parenting. And so shielding my kids from people, uh, I don't think is the way to do this. But letting them see God's love on display through my life, I, 
and through uh, our lives as a family. This is how we create space for people, uh, for our kids to see God's love in action. A third point of reflection, uh, spend some time in prayer. Uh, This is a regular practice for me. Uh, Spend some time in prayer asking God to reveal to you who you struggle to have a relationship with and ask, ask that he place you in situations where you have to explore the depth of Jesus's love and compassion for those people. Um, that could be the LGBTQ community. That could be people who are deep into the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, that could be uh, MAGA hat wearers. It could be you know, white supremacists, um, white nationalists. There's all kinds of words that we can use. Um, you know, Antifa. The woke, the conservative, I, there's all kinds of words. I could just make a list of words, and which one makes your blood boil? That's probably the Holy Spirit nudging you towards a relationship. What does it look like to see those relationships as God's mission field around your table? Let's, let's work on developing the heart of God for the people that God loves. Go be his presence in the world today.